So uh, I don't know if it was ever on purpose, but um, the way it's kind of worked out with um, our book studies is that Daddy usually winds up doing like the, you know, there's always the lesson where you have the introduction to the book. And I think he really likes those. You get a lot of history and so forth, and, and uh, uh, he's very, very good at it. And I'm going to take a swing at the plate, and we'll see how it, how it goes. Uh, I like the verse-by-verse verse stuff, and uh, he's really good at, at um, pulling together a picture. So we'll, we'll kind of walk through this. But uh, as, uh, as we commonly do when we're talking about a book written by Paul, and, and everybody agrees that Philippians was written by Paul. You know, some books of the Bible we've talked about that there's maybe a little question as to who wrote this or that. There's not much question that Paul wrote uh, Philippians. And um, uh, as, we, as we look at that, what we usually do is go back to the book of Acts because that's where we see laid out in somewhat of a timeline form um, the, you know, the first 10 or 12 chapters is about the early church in Jerusalem and the star of those chapters is probably Peter. And then the last two-thirds or so of the book is about the uh, meanderings and ministry of Paul. And so uh, we'll go to Acts chapter 16 to learn about Philippians. And let's see, do we still have our map over here? So uh, just to uh, just to orient, Acts chapter 16. So we have our classic. Map. Didn't intend for that to happen, but I guess it works out. Uh, so most of you know that, that Paul had, basically they've talked about three missionary journeys, all right? And so if you, um, if you uh, look at this, uh, in orange we have the first missionary journey, which basically just happens over here. Just to orient you, of course, here's Italy, um, Greece, 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 Asia Minor, and then over here, um, you know, you have uh, Israel and Syria and all that. Um, so the first missionary journey was just in this area. This second missionary journey uh, is uh, the one that we're talking about today. And that, in this key, is in purple. And you see, it was probably, I would argue, maybe the more productive of his missionary journeys. Uh, starting down here, up into Asia Minor, uh, crossing over into the Grecian peninsula, and then back, and so forth. So, Philippi is here. Okay? Thus endeth the geography lesson for today. Um, I guess the, the big idea uh, about Philippi is, um, of course, it was uh, very much a, a Roman city, uh, one of the big east-to-west roads um, went through Philippi. This was back in the day when truly all roads went to Rome. And uh, so it was a trading route. There was, uh, it was uh, an important area of commerce. Um, it was uh, uh, the biggest city of that region. And um, so it was, would have been probably... Uh, natural for Paul to have wanted to go there, um, except um, he had a direct command, as as we'll um, 
as we'll see. So uh, we're going to go through um, chapter 16, and um, it's really kind of a cool chapter. A lot of stuff happens in this chapter, and uh, most of it happens related to, to uh, Philippi. So uh, we're going to pick up uh, right before uh, he gets there. If you back up to, you, we're not going to do this, but if you back up to verse 15, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 15, uh, this is where uh, Paul split up, all right? And uh, a lot of this has to do with, with John Mark. And uh, it's like, you know, uh, Mark didn't want, I mean, Paul didn't want Mark to go with them. And it says in verse 39, there was a sharp disagreement, so they took a time out from each other. They, they parted ways, literally. Barnabas took Mark, Paul chose Silas, and it says he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And then in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. So this is where we first meet Timothy, uh, right as um, uh, Paul is fixing ahead to Philippi. It says, Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, you remember in Galatians, we talked a lot about this whole idea of circumcision, right? And there were people that were demanding people to be circumcised, and Paul spoke out very strongly. Um, look, that's the old school, that's the... That's a law, that's not a command anymore, and um, it's, just, it's just not necessary for you to do this. And in fact, the preceding chapter, all of Acts 15, was the big Jerusalem council about whether or not circumcision was, ne was necessary. So Paul has been arguing this whole time, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to be circumcised, and so forth. And then in chapter 16, it starts off, and he takes this guy who wasn't circumcised and circumcises him. So, you know, what gives? Um, is he a hypocrite or whatever? And so I think the distinction is this. The whole Jerusalem Council thing and the whole Galatians thing was, is circumcision and all the other parts of the law necessary for you to come to faith in Christ, um, to be a Christian? And of course, the answer to that is no. Absolutely not, and that's why he was so forceful. Just like, do you have to tithe to be a Christian? No. Do you have to, you know, all these other things that we do as Christians, but that doesn't make us a Christian. Well, here we have, you know, Timothy was a believer. Him getting circumcised didn't make him any more or less of a believer, but... They knew they were going to be encountering some Jews, and I got to tell you, I think it's kind of, you know, it's not like anybody's going to check, right? Nobody's going to check if he's circumcised. But I guess everybody assumed his daddy was a Greek. If his dad had been a Jew, his dad would have demanded that he be circumcised. That's what the Jew's dad would have done. So since his dad was a Greek, everybody kind of knew, without looking, that Timothy had not been circumcised. So Paul did it to... Uh, I guess, um, remove that potential hindrance, right? Um, just to set that aside so it wouldn't be an issue. And so I think the, the, the little lesson from this section is, is that sometimes 
maybe not to this extreme example, but there may be some times when you set aside things that are fine, that literally are fine, but might be a bit of an encumbrance, a bit of a hindrance to you accomplishing what God has for you. So you think it was bothering him personally? Nah. Not at all? I don't think so. I don't think so. Although it's a good question. I never really thought about that. I guess, I guess he could have. Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, whether Whose idea it was, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, in any event, he must have, you know, agreed to the, to the notion. Uh, but, um, you know, and I think you see this, um, for example, in some of our mission organizations. They may say, hey, uh, you know, you're on the mission field. You know, you don't need to be doing this or that. There's, diff- you know, every mission organization has their own rules. Um, and clearly they are rules. They're, they won't make you any more or less of a Christian. Doing those things on the list wouldn't have been any, it wouldn't have been sinful, it wouldn't have been anything wrong with it, but they ask you to, to pull in some of your liberty just so it's not an issue, right? I know in some places they say, you know, they'll tell their mission team, look, we know it's not in the Bible, but we don't want you to drink. I know it's not in the Bible, but, you know, in this culture, you know, uh, women should maybe dress more modestly than they'd otherwise do or whatever. And, and so if you're on the mission field and that's kind of part of the package, you say, hey, that's fine. I'll do that if that's what it takes to, to let it not be an issue, then that's what I'm going to do. So it's, it's more of a heart issue than an than a external uh, or otherwise issue. So, um, so the lesson there is that uh, you know, sometimes you make a few sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. All right, so this is, uh, this is pretty cool. So it says, uh, verse 4, they went on their way through the cities and they delivered to them for their observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So even after doing this, he goes on, part of his job is to relate what just happened in Jerusalem, which what just happened in Jerusalem, of course, was you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to follow the law. Um, they said, the, you remember the only stipulation was was, uh, let's see, the only stipulation was um, if there's been meat sacrificed to idols, we want you to stay away from that um, and, uh, and stay away from sexual immorality. That was the two things that they asked. Um, so that was the, the part of the message that Paul was delivering, um, strengthening some of the churches that he had visited on his, and helped start on his first missionary journey. All right, so verse 6 is where it gets cool. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So he kind of wanted to go up in the here again, but the Holy Spirit says no. And it says, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them in. Now, the Spirit of Jesus is an interesting phrase. I'm not sure that that shows up many places, and I didn't do a detailed study of that, but that is... Um, an interesting uh, turn of phrase and um, uh, I'm assuming this is the Holy Spirit but we don't usually hear the Holy Spirit referred to as the Spirit of Jesus but that's kind of kind of interesting there um, verse 8 so passing by Mysia they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia now Philippi was like the capital of the region of Macedonia okay 
By the way, there is a country nowadays called Macedonia that is up in here. <coughs> so kind of in the neighborhood, but it's up in here now, whereas before all of this would have been called Macedonia. Anyway, uh, a man of Macedonia um, uh, in a vision. Um, uh, let's see. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, so, you know, for most of us, God doesn't come to us in a vision, but if he does do that, you know, <laughs> if God chooses, uh, chooses to speak to you in a vision, then that would be a good thing. Uh, for you to do, I think. Um, uh, that hasn't happened to me, but if it does, I, I hope I have the sense to, uh, to follow through. Verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and, which is like an island. They probably would have, you know, gotten provisions there. And the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Uh, so... Typically, Paul would have given first, you know, he's a traveling preacher, right? And so you go to where the people are if you're a preacher. So um, at, at this time, the, the big division between Jews and, and uh, you know, synagogue and everything was not, did not really happen. Christianity was definitely seen as a furtherance of Judaism. Uh, Paul would have gone to the synagogue had there been one. The fact that he didn't go to the synagogue, I think it, we can safely assume that there wasn't one there, uh, which tells us a little bit about the region because you had to have 10 devout men to have a synagogue. Um, so it tells you there, there weren't that many. Otherwise, they would have probably taken care of that and kept it going. So um, they'd been there several days. There's no synagogue. It's the Sabbath. I need to do something. This is Paul's habit, his spiritual discipline kicking in, so he, he had heard where there might be a place to pray. And so uh, what happens, he, he goes outside the gate to the riverside and um, sat down, and, and um, here we have a, a very prominent mention of uh, women who had come together, and verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Now, you know, one who heard us, uh, who's the narrator here? Who wrote Acts? Luke, right? He's part of the party, you know, so he's part of the band. Um, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized. So she was um, a worshiper of God, a, a, a Jewish believer, um, and um, and got saved, uh, heard the gospel, and, uh, and got saved. And it says, verse 15, And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, 
If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So, um, uh, just a, a quick comment. You know, uh, the Bible, uh, you know, sheds light on lots of things, and it has um, been throughout history, and and sometimes has not been uh, always used properly, you know, just like you can take anything out of context. It's been used to support slavery. It's been used to support a lot of things. But one of the knocks on the Bible nowadays is that people see it as an anti-feminist document. Uh, And, you know, there may have been some more legalistic strains of Christianity that it may be um, led to that belief. But in reality... This was one of the more liberating documents as far as women are concerned in history. And here we have basically Paul starting a church based on women believers. And um, uh, obviously this was a part of the, you know, there weren't that many devout men. Ergo, no synagogue, but like, here's believers. It's fine. They're women. That's cool. Uh, they get saved. Her household gets saved. You know, she's like the head of her household, and um, and she says, you know, come to my house. And and Paul says, okay, let's go to your house. Um, so that's a just a, a one of the many examples where where women are are much more prominent after Christ. Verse sixteen is as we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came that very hour. So they say there's no such thing as too much publicity or no such thing as bad publicity so is this gal is not saying anything wrong right um she is saying you know but just pestering the mess out of them uh these men are servants of the most high god who proclaim to you the way of salvation i mean that's great publicity right it just so happens to become by this demon speaking girl which you know probably does cast a different slant on things anyway it Apparently, this has been going on for several days. So the, I think it's fine. It's interesting that Paul was putting up with it. He was kind of letting it happen. But just finally just has had it. I guess she was, I don't know if she had an annoying voice or didn't like her laugh or, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know for whatever reason, she, he got annoyed with it. And that was the reason that he cast a demon out. Not that she was speaking falsehood. I just think that's hilarious. Um, it's like, look, I've had it with you out of there and and sure enough the demon comes out so I, I, I just think that's I just think that's hilarious um, so um, sometimes uh, you have to get rid of hindrances and sometimes things that might seem helpful uh, perhaps aren't and uh, if you have other spiritual insight from that passage uh, <laughs> feel free to chime in all right, uh, so verse 19 starts a passage which I, I labeled, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, so verse 19 says, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So they cast the demon out, so now she's useless, right? 
she was a hot property because here she was demon-possessed and she could kind of somewhat tell the future. Now, spirits can't, they, they're not all-knowing, right? They can't truly predict the future, but um, they can certainly understand people's thoughts and motives. And, you know, so anyway, just to remind us that demons are limited. But anyway, uh, she was a has-been. She was not possessed anymore. And uh, so they, they brought Paul and Silas up on charges. Verse 20, And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Uh, the crowd joined in attacking them. This is your classic mob mentality, right? Uh, we've certainly seen evidence of the whole mob thing lately. Um, uh, the crowds joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So things went from really, really good, you know, preaching by the riverside and going to Lydia's house, um, and uh, to really, really bad, not just jail, but beat, stripped, ridiculed, and thrown in the inner jail and in stocks. I mean, <laughs> they like, were all over them. Um, and then God comes and does something cool. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And Paul said, wait, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. It's all cool. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas and said, oh, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Uh, this is an awesome miracle, and I, I, I've always loved this passage. Um, we've had a lot of earthquakes lately, and you know, I've never heard of an isolated earthquake, right? I mean, it just wipes out a region or something like that. This seems like a very local earthquake confined to the prison, which I don't know. It probably wasn't even that big. I mean, it might not have been any bigger than this, and so that's you know, I think everybody saw okay. God is really powerful. Um, so uh, certainly they didn't perceive it as a random thing. And so he gets saved. Um, a couple comments about, about this. And obviously, you know, there's sovereignty of God here. There's power of God here. There's um, the power of the gospel and, and all that. Um, a couple of just uh, uh, logistic things. And that is um, this concept where it says... Uh, he was baptized, he and all his family, has sometimes been used to support uh, the notion of child baptism. 
okay? Uh, this is not a passage to support infant baptism. Uh, for all we know, his household may have been all of age. Uh, baptism, of course, doesn't save you. I know there are, um, uh, you know, great brothers and sisters that we have in Christ who differ on <laughs> believer's baptism versus uh, the uh, possible grace um, effect of uh, infant baptism, but this is not an appropriate verse to use for infant baptism. Uh, that's just stretching it. Uh, there's nothing in here that says that there were children. It just says he and his household. We don't know how old the jailer was. These could well have been um, family uh, who were well of age. Uh, so it's just not a, it's a real stretch of that verse to say that this has anything to do with infant baptism. All right. Um, all right, moving on. Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let these men go. Um, and the jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Uh, therefore, now come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, Wait a minute. They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, thrown us in prison, and now they're going to throw us out secretly? No. Let them come out, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, apologized to them, took them out, and said, please leave. Um, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So this, and then it says um, in verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, and then they move on to the next place. So this is most of what we know about the start of the church in Philippi. So you've got, um, if the demon possessed slaved, maybe she got saved, I'm not sure it doesn't say. We've got... Lydia, uh, who probably was the money bags, you know, she probably, you know, she sold purple. Purple was the, the most costly uh, type of dye. It was the hardest to get. It was the hardest to use. And uh, so she probably had some means. That's why she probably had a big enough house to invite the entourage to her place. Uh, she probably supported the local church greatly. You've got the Philippian jailer in his household. Uh, that's what, that's how the church started. And what we'll find as we go through Philippians is that of all the churches that Paul went to and through, the church at Philippi was probably the best church. It was the best church. When, you know, 1 Corinthians, you know, you've got the guy sleeping with his stepmom and, you know, all manner of craziness and Galatians, it was this infighting with the grace versus law thing, and, and large portions of those books were spent, Paul trying to fix doctrinal errors and scolding and say, you haven't gotten right. Philippians is all about, with a little exception, all about encouragement. It is encouraging these folks, stay focused on Christ, uh, giving them additional information, uh, really encouraging them. And I think there's a lot of things. It shows um, that Paul wasn't just a good evangelist. He was a good pastor. Uh, he tailored his message to the people that he was speaking to, um, a different message for different people. Um, he got messages back and forth, hearing how the people in Philippi were doing. Uh, 
this was um, a very personal letter uh, to a church that uh, you could just tell he had a fondness for these folks. He really loved them. Uh, and obviously God had a reason for getting out of them there uh, in a vision. There's some uh, interesting things. Uh, we know from the text of Philippians that we'll go through that this was one of what's called the prison letters. It was written while he was in prison um, uh, because he's, you know, he's writing uh, uh, many people say from Rome, uh, as we feel Ephesians was written from Rome, but some people feel that it might have been um, written at some of his other imprisonments. We, we know that he was imprisoned in Rome. We know that he was imprisoned at Caesarea. But the Bible mentions other imprisonments, and some people feel he might have been imprisoned in Ephesus for a while, and that may have been when he wrote Philippians, because Ephesus and Philippi are only about 100 miles apart, and he talks about in one place where there are messages being passed back and forth, that would have only been 100 miles, which would not have been that hard for a traveler to cover. But if he was getting messages back and forth between Philippi and Rome, that's like eight to 1,200 miles I've forget, but it's like much longer. Um, so that's one reason people feel he may not have written Philippians from Rome. But uh, in any event, he did write it from prison. Uh, definitely um, was one of the um, uh, better churches uh, going along. And uh, we see the same approach, you know, when Jesus writes to the seven churches in Revelation, a different message for the different churches. And I think, um, I just think that's cool that you know, the Bible is not a one-size-fits-all thing, and there are certainly going to be some passages that speak more to you than others. Um, all right, so there's our little survey of how uh, Philippians got started. It's kind of interesting, a lot of action in those uh, verses, and um, so I th I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I don't know that I've ever taught Philippians, uh, so I'm sure I'll learn a lot as well. Um, all right, thoughts? All right, well, let's pray and uh, get started. Um, I think it might be Daddy, it might be me. I'm not sure who will be here next week, but it would not surprise me if we got past verse 11, I'll be shocked. So you could probably read through all of Philippians in about 30 minutes. So if you haven't done that yet, do that. But my hunch is we'll probably be camping on the first uh, 11 verses or next week. Father, we thank you for this family, and we thank you that you do speak to us um, individually, but also as a family, and we pray that uh, the words in your scripture will continue to, to uh, echo in our hearts, and we pray that you'd help us to apply these things as you would have us. In Jesus' name, amen.